All right, good morning, everybody. Would you join me in just putting your hands together to give God praise and to give God acknowledgement and God adoration? We got to be together again one more day, and I'm just so happy about it. God bless you, and good morning. Welcome to Southwest. We're gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, intergenerational church. We love discipleship, and we're glad you're here. Uh, what all that means is that this is a church that I pray that you'll perceive is centered on the good news of Jesus Christ, that he's coming to the world to save us. And if you put your trust and faith in him, you can know wholeness and you can know peace and you can know forgiveness of sin. We've come to worship him for that name. Anybody else excited about the Super Bowl? This is the crowd that could care less about the Super Bowl because you didn't come to the nine o'clock. You came to the 11, you were like Chiefs who, right? You know, it's all good. We are so excited uh, that you partnered with us. We asked you to just put throw on jerseys if you felt like, and a lot of you did that, so we appreciate that. I'm, I'm representing the Coachella Valley Firebirds. Y'all see me up in here? So you can see how into it I am for the Super Bowl. I'm wearing a hockey jersey, okay? Uh, but we're so, we're so very glad uh, that you're here. I want to do a few things, and then we're going to get to God's word uh, this morning. First of all, would you appreciate the worship team and give God praise for their ministry to us uh, today? Um, uh, it's, it, if you're new to us, this is a really good time for you to plug in. We kick off our, our, our year, uh, basically the last couple of weeks. So Rooted, uh, which is our call to discipleship ministry, just started up small groups on Tuesday mornings and Tuesday nights. So we encourage you to plug into that. So many new things that you can plug into and become a part of the community if God is calling you to do that. I want to just uh, thank God for our staff. You may have noticed that we, there's things out there, which means we're renovating and doing things. You, you, we painted the whole uh, sanctuary, uh, $20 word meaning auditorium. Uh, Back in the day, that's all we called it was sanctuary. But anyways, we've uh, renovated our lobby. Uh, currently, because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity, this is a 100,000 square foot building and it's 20 years old and it just has 20 year old problems, one of which was a new air conditioner unit. And because of your generosity, I'm happy to report we're halfway done with a $3.2 million renovation. And I just wanna applaud God for taking care of our church. And I want to apply God for your faithfulness and generosity. But one, one more hand clap. This means extra work for our staff. And I just want to appreciate them and thank God for them working so hard and taking care of us. One, one, one more, since we're clapping and it's Super Bowl kind of day. Uh, if you enjoyed coming to a clean building that the chairs were all set out for you and we're all safe because of a safety team and everything else, it's because volunteers came in early and they're gonna stay late. Would you join me in thanking God for our volunteers? It's so cool. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's Black History Month and I think I'm history's first African-American preacher to wear a hockey jersey. <laughs> that joke landed, praise God. Okay. <laughs> Um, but I want to do something a little, um, a, a bit more uh, nearer to the heart, and then we're going to go to God's Word. We wrestled with this a little bit as to um, what we were going to do uh, and how we were going to do it for our brethren over in Turkey and in Syria. It's a lot of bad news um, this week particularly. So much darkness uh, in the world, uh, but I don't think we get to ignore as a church, uh, what's happening in Turkey and Syria. So since the pandemic, uh, there have been 
119 million people who have fallen back into poverty. So since the pandemic, 119 million people around the world have fallen back into poverty. And that number only increased last week when a 7.8 on the Richter scale earthquake hit Turkey and Syria. You've seen the devastation. They literally thousands of buildings are not there anymore. Over 100,000 injuries. I checked the news this morning and the number of lives lost was up to 31,000. And I think we, we're supposed to do something to help them. We gotta be real careful as a church. We can't, we can't fix everything. We can't come to you for everything. But when I saw these families pulling rubble away, trying to find their babies, I said, I think, I think we gotta do something. Uh, so what I'm gonna do is we're gonna pray for them in just a second, but I thought, if you are so led, would you help our church be a blessing? to the people of Turkey and Syria. Uh, so we have partnered with a ministry called Convoy of Hope. I want you to Google them, check them out. We started a partnership about a year ago. Remember when we helped the people of Ukraine? You guys sent $70,000 worth of supplies to Ukraine. And I wonder what God wants us to do for the children of Turkey and Syria. Convoy of Hope, evangelical, Bible-based. They meet needs, then they share Jesus. They meet needs and they share Jesus. Um, out of tens of thousands of charities in the world, Convoy of Hope is rated number 43 in the world, meaning we can be sure that our money will bless the people that really need it. They've been on the ground since day one. They are doing food and water and shelter, and Convoy of Hope is kind of targeting towards children. A lot of diapers and formula and helping mamas cover, recover for their babies while the tragedy goes on. Convoy of Hope feeds 500,000 kids every day. And in 2022 alone, they responded to 65 crises, and that's just our partner. So we get to say that because Convoy of Hope is there, Southwest is there. So I'm going to pray for them in a moment. But if you're led, uh, you'll notice here that there's a slide with a QR code. So if you are under 30, and you know what that means. Uh, you can flash your camera over the QR code, and it's going to come up to a safe and sound secure link $5, $10, whatever God puts on your heart uh, to be a blessing. Uh, you just do what Jesus tells you to do, and that will be fine with us. Uh, but we've asked the volunteers to leave the offering buckets in the lobbies and on your exits. And so if you need to write a check, just make it all to Southwest. We forward 100% of that uh, overseas because I just feel like we're supposed to do something. So if you stand in agreement, would you pray? And let's join now to lift up our brothers. As we pray, think about this. Think about what you'd be feeling if this valley lost 31,000 people. Think about what you'd be feeling if the town you grew up in lost 31,000 people and there was no hope in sight. And let that burden now direct our prayer to God for their rescue. Father, uh, we are so blessed. And it feels like the most of us are having a pretty, pretty good day. So as Christians, Lord, we pause to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn for their many in Turkey and in Syria. Literally, Lord, some of the places where Christianity first um, flourished, they're hurting and they're lost and they're, they're in pain. So God, I pray that you'd rescue them. I pray that you would touch our hearts, God, to give if that's what you're leading us to do. And I pray, Lord God, that more lives will be spared and that many will come to faith in Christ as a result, God, of the whole world pointing our direction towards their way. Lord, there's a lot of heartache and pain, but you have the power to fix it. And we pray to that end today in Jesus' name. And every heart set. 
Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and get to the Bible. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Genesis uh, chapter 1 and verse 31. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. That shouldn't take too long to find. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, as we continue in our series of study. Can you believe we're still on this Rhythms series? Rhythms, Proven Practices for the New Year, where we've been begging an answer to this question, what are those biblical, foundational, tried and true, keyword, rhythms for life in the gospel? When you hear rhythms, think spiritual disciplines. And when you hear rhythms, think those habits that I need to do in my life in order to abound to strength and be established in my faith. So guys, remember this, Matthew 6, is kind of the epicenter for our heart. Uh, Jesus says, seek first the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And what Jesus was saying to believers is that you would do well never to make things your goal, but to make God, to make the kingdom, to make his righteousness your goal. Anybody else can testify with me that when you prioritize God over and above everything else, can I get a witness that when you make God your goal, all the other things you thought was the goal end up following you anyway? That's what we mean. And so the lesson is this idea that rhythms are greater than resolutions. Rhythms are greater than resolutions. We're still in the new year, and we're building a foundation upon which we might stand spiritually in our year. So just by way of review, before we talk about what we're talking about today, the first rhythm was you need to do good, serve others. The second lesson was move on. The power of the gospel frees you from being enslaved to your past. I don't care what happened in your past. Yesterday is yesterday. If there is breath in your body, there is grace for your soul. God does not hold you back to the mistakes of your past, but he sets you up. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God for the opportunities for your future. Third rhythm was read your Bible. Open it up, open your eyes, and read your Bible. God's word can make you free. The fourth rhythm was make war. We talked about spiritual warfare and what to do about the devil. Remember that one? Uh, Pastor Tim talked to us, uh, I think it was from 1 Corinthians, about how to take care of your temple, how to live healthy, how to eat healthy, none of which we are doing this afternoon, Uh, but but in general. (laughs) We are going to do that in our lives. My buddy Andrew talked about honoring the Sabbath and working hard, but then resting well. Today, I want to talk to you about how the rhythms of life show up in celebration. And so as we talk about our rhythm series, I want to talk about what it means to party well in Jesus' name. Can I get a cool in the gang witness? Come on, y'all. Celebrate good times. Come on. Bam, 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 bam. Yes. Yes. Way to go, multi-ethnic church. We couldn't do that. We couldn't do that five years ago. God is good. Okay, anyways. But we're talking about what it means to glorify God even in our celebrations as a rhythm of life. So that's kind of where we're going today. We thought it made sense on Super Bowl Sunday, too, to talk about how to celebrate well. This is what I want you to hear before we go to the text. And I pray, I've been praying for you, that the Spirit would kind of cement this in your soul uh, today, because I think it's super important. This is what I want you to hear. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Everything you do, everything you say, everywhere you go, 
God wants to use for his glory. That's what I want you to walk away with today. Everything you do, everything you say, everywhere you go, God wants to use for his glory. Uh, That's what the story of Leroy uh, teaches us. Leroy was uh, your average, um, everyday, simple country boy from Memphis, Tennessee. This is back in the 1960s. He was a a worker at a textile mill, just a country boy. Uh, Where I'm from, we would say he was countryer than two black snakes. Uh, he was countryer than a road lizard. He was, um, yeah, he could strut while sitting down. Uh, he, he, he could talk the legs off of a chair. You know, he's just, just country as all get out. Leroy was the kind of boy who could talk to a wall and enjoy it. Uh, he, he was the kind of guy who was always going to shake your hand, ask how you're doing, invite you over for dinner, tell you what he cooked last week, tell you what he's cooking next week. He was a country boy that always wanted to talk, always wanted to share, always wanted to be hospitable. He's the kind of guy that was so nice, he got on your nerves. <laughs> that was Leroy. So imagine the surprise when Leroy starts to work for a certain Mr. Barnes in 1960s Memphis at this old textile mill. Now, you need to know, whereas Leroy was the hospitable, want to talk to everybody, country boy, Mr. Barnes was a curmudgeon, okay? Always had a scowl on his face, hard nose, straight-laced, no-nonsense kind of guy. He never wanted to talk about anything but business. He didn't want you to say, hey. He didn't want you to say, good afternoon. He didn't want you to ask how he was doing. He was an absolute terrible guy that the mill workers simply referred to as Mr. Barnes. So imagine Mr. Barnes's dismay when Leroy becomes one of his employees. Leroy's walking around all the way to the factories just saying hey to everybody and how you doing this bright and sunshiny and and I always asked Mr. Barnes how he was doing and Mr. Barnes just couldn't stand it. And every day when everyone was clocking out in the afternoon, Leroy had the same routine. He would go into Mr. Barnes' office, stop by his desk and say, Mr. Barnes, what you need is Jesus. Now have a nice day. (laughs) Every afternoon. Without fail, that Leroy would just kind of go do his work all day, and he'd stop by the desk, and he'd say, Mr. Barnes, now what you need is Jesus. Have a nice day. He did this every day for weeks on end. Drove Mr. Barnes crazy. In fact, started to anger him to the point that Mr. Barnes decides he's going to make Leroy's life miserable. So he came up with all sorts of lame brain jobs and all these laborious tasks for Leroy to do to try to crush his spirit, to try to get him to quit. And even though he'd given him all this extra work, Leroy never broke a sweat. Leroy never hung his head. Leroy never changed his countenance. And every day, Leroy would still stop by the desk and go up to Mr. Barnes and say, Mr. Barnes, what you need is Jesus. Have a nice day. He did this so faithfully that eventually Mr. Barnes had to get the secret to Leroy's sauce and decided one particular Sunday morning that he would go to Leroy's church. And as he's sitting there on the pews on the back row, he heard the anointing and felt the anointing of the gospel on that preacher as the choir sang the songs of the Zion. And he heard those lyrics that said that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. 
and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains and he hears the gospel and he's drawn to the gospel and he's drawn to the fire and his whole stony heart begins to soften as every Sunday he's going back to church and every day Leroy is faithfully stopping by his desk and history tells us one particular Monday afternoon Leroy comes as was his custom and says Mr. Barnes what you need is Jesus now have a nice day and with tears In his eyes, Mr. Barnes said, Leroy, I think I'm ready to meet your Jesus. And history tells us that Leroy grabbed his hands and over a little desk at a textile mill in 1960s Memphis, Tennessee, Barnes accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Fast forward a few years, Mr. Barnes becomes Pastor William Barnes and plants a church called the Tullahoma Baptist Church, where for 40 years he pastored that flock, leading hundreds and hundreds of faith, so much so that he remains in many Memphians' minds, one of the original gatekeepers of their city. They say uh, that Barnes would preach the gospel, and he would be so hospitable, and he would be so nice, and he would deliver the benediction to end service. But before, just when he would end the benediction, he'd look at his church and say, Tullahoma Baptist Church, what you need is Jesus. Now have a nice day. What what does Leroy's story teach us? It teaches us that everything you say and everything you do and everywhere you go, God wants to use for his glory. We've made this mistake in Christendom whereby we have made Christianity and being impactful and being a change agent in culture, we've made it out to be something whereby you have to do something drastic or be uh, phenomenal or be innovative and be uh, remarkable in ways that we've never before seen. And because of that, it has left the ordinary folks believing a lie that you can't be extraordinary with your ordinary self. What we've done is we've sensationalized Christianity. What I mean by that is we've made impactful Christians the kind of people who are always at those stories just before Billy Graham comes to preach. We've made Christianity and we've made impactfulness something that only these, these people who have these amazing stories in histories and then God saved them and rescued them. Those are the real Christians. Can I get a witness that all I was was a regular dude who God saved and I don't have any kind of stories. We've made the real Christians the ones that were out there smoking drugs and dealing drugs and that may have been you, but we've made all the real Christians the one who overcame all of these mountains and valleys. I used to prostitute and I used to do this and I, and I you know, we, we got where people believe that I can't be an impactful Christian unless my testimony is, well, I shot 97 people and then I, I ran across the world and I went and I went and beat the Russians all by myself with a BB gun and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and what we've done is we've sensationalized what it means to change the world. When last time I checked, if God can use a man at a textile mill who couldn't read or write, can I get a witness that he can use me too? The good news of the gospel is that you don't have to go to seminary to be a Christian. And everybody said, amen. amen. You don't have to preach like Paul or pray like Peter. You don't have to memorize Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and Latin to be impactful. You don't have to read 20 books a week. Last time I checked, all you need to do is to accept the truth that everything you do and everything you say 
And everywhere you go, God wants to use for his glory. And as we tiptoe the text, the good news of the gospel is that, that God can do that even in celebrating. Even in celebrating. Today, I want to stretch even further this idea that God can use your day-to-day rhythms to make his name famous. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Oh, I'm running out of time, but if I had the time, boy, would I preach this thing. I encourage you this week, would you spend some time in Genesis chapter 1? And would you spend some time being in awe of Jehovah God who has made the whole world out of nothing? So as we tiptoe to verse 31, here's the context. Jehovah has stepped out on nothing and with a word has spoken everything. And the power of God is hovering over creation. And Moses has now captured the episode for us. He writes to us these words. Hear now the word of the Lord. Moses writes, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Good morning, family. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. I've read from the greatest book ever written. I bear witness this day. All of its words are true. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go to classroom for three minutes, and then we got to go to church. I got to get you out of here, okay? I got to get you out of here, not just in respect of your time, but in respect of mine. <laughs> uh, it's not going to be a long-winded sermon today because I've, I've got eight 16-ounce uh, ribeyes <laughs> that have been marinating in the oil of the Holy Ghost for 24 hours. <laughs> I will reverse sear them into a balmy 120. I'll pull them out and I'll put them on a cast iron skillet with half a stick of butter and shallots and some sauteed mushrooms and onions. I'll slice them thin and pour over them something called chimichurri sauce. And I've got an aluminum pan, three tubes of Velveeta and six tubes of something called Philadelphia cream cheese. It has, it has some hot and mild pork sausage crumbled with some Rotel tomatoes. I'll slow smoke it for two hours and accompany them with some tortilla chips. I've got something called smash burgers coming in the... Oh, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be preaching. But anyways, I'm not going not gonna to take much of your time. Let's go to the classroom. Uh, let me give you three presuppositions surrounding celebrations. When we come to 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says to us, whether you eat or drink whether you eat or drink, and he says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Look at this verse with me. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, even in eating, even in drinking, whatever you do, God can use it for his glory. It's interesting to me because Paul is saying this to what was a party culture. Okay, Corinth was the Vegas of his day. If anybody believed in celebrating, it was the people of Corinth. And Paul is using, watch this now, a cultural rhythm and bringing that to bear upon what should be a kingdom rhythm. Are y'all with me so far? He's saying, whatever you do, you can do it all to the glory of God. So let me give us three presuppositions. Number one, guys, believers have much to celebrate. If you are in Christ, allow me to preach to you real quick. I know the world is dark. I know our weights are heavy. I know the world is a fallen place. But if you have come to Christ by way of the cross of Calvary, and you have received the beneficence of the fact that early Sunday morning, Jesus rose triumphant from the grave from you, 
regardless of what's going on in Washington, D.C., regardless of this downturn in our economy, regardless of what's going on with these balloons flying on everywhere, I've come to tell this church that our testimony is this. He picked you up. He turned you around. He placed your feet on solid ground, and you have much to celebrate. Jesus Christ is Lord. You have much to celebrate. You have much to celebrate, meaning that I don't need an anniversary to throw a party. I, I don't need a birthday. I don't need a rhythm. I know he's been good, and I want to shout about his goodness. We have much to celebrate. My wife, um, my, 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 wife um, uh, my wife is blind, okay? I have a permission to tell this story. My wife can't see. Okay, I know y'all think that you come and speak to April and she's just so nice and she just say, hey, God bless you. I love you so much. If she didn't have on her glasses, she does not know who you are. Okay, <laughs> she cannot see. Have you ever, if you wear glasses, have you ever mistakenly put on somebody else's glasses who was more blind than you? <laughs> and you put on their glasses and you felt like you was in a haunted house of mirrors? That, that's April. When we were dating, y'all, I messed up and put on her glasses. Y'all, I put on her glasses, and I could see tomorrow. <laughs> like, like, if these was April's glasses, I'd be like, well, I know who's going to win the Super Bowl. He really did do it. He really did do it. I mean, she just, <laughs> she just she can't, she can't see that well. Well, she got to researching and learned about something called LASIK surgery. Uh, and what happens with LASIK surgery is the doctor removes something that ain't supposed to be there and add something that you need. And people who can't see can all of a sudden see. And April had that surgery this week, and they, they do the surgery, and she was really uncomfortable and a lot of pain that first day. And we were a little concerned she had a lot of pain. But the next morning, she woke up, and I says, well, babe, how does it feel? Can you see? She said, perfectly. She says, babe, I went to the hospital, and we found the best doctor in the country, best-rated LASIK surgeon in the country over in Ontario. She said, babe, all I know is that they sat me down on this bed, and then the doctor came and touched me. And babe, he reached down, and then he picked me up and smiled and said, how does it feel to see? And I've come to tell the church that 2,000 years ago, there was another doctor who, when we were down by our sin. My Bible says he reached down and he picked me up. And all who have faith in Jesus Christ says to you, how does it feel to see? We have much to celebrate, which is hilarious because even though we have much to celebrate, believers have a terrible reputation for celebrating. It's true. Believers have a terrible reputation for celebrating. Not too many people in the world get excited when they find out Christians are coming. <laughs> we have a terrible reputation. Nobody gets excited when we, get, when we show up, which is funny, because many people in the world hate it when Christians show up to the party, but in the Bible, people loved it when Jesus showed up to the party. So something has to change in you and me whereby people get excited when we come around just like they got excited when Jesus came around. And I think one of the reasons people are not excited when Christians come is because you and I have messed up and made rep Christianity to the world a religion of what you don't do instead of a relationship of what you get to do. I'm preaching better than you, amen, but somebody should have said amen right there. We, in fact, some of us didn't come to church 
up until now because the last 30 years, all you heard was that it's just something you don't get to do. Who wants to come to that? But you got here and you felt the fire of the Holy Ghost and you realized, oh my goodness, I didn't know that I could have it like this. I mean, we've made it about what we don't do. I'm from the South and they had old fundamentalists there. This was a true saying in Mississippi. This is what Christians would say. We don't smoke, we don't chew. We don't date the ones who do. Christians are guilty about making our faith what we don't do. And yes, that's part of it. But how many of you know that ultimately knowing Jesus is about what you get to do, who you get to know, what you get to experience in Christ? So we need to change our reputation for celebrating. Thirdly, and finally, we'll go to the text. This is what I want y'all to hear. Believers have been commanded to celebrate. Guys, this is not something Jesus is asking you what you think. He's saying, this is something I want you to do, to take time to pause and reflect and celebrate what the good news of the gospel is. You've been commanded to celebrate. So if you add all the feasts and Sabbaths and celebrations God commanded, on average, a Jewish person would have paused to celebrate something every four and a half days. Translation, celebration was woven into the body life of God's people. It was God's way of saying, I've been really good, and to make sure you remember that my good news is better than the world's bad news, I'm going to set you up with a calendar that will help you pause and reflect and not believe what CNN said. <laughs> Lest you think I'm, a, I'm biased and not believe what Fox News said but believe what Jesus has said about the truth and to pause and celebrate. So as we come to the text, that's all I want you to really see, that there's a rhythm of celebration. We need a rhythm of celebration. Now, Genesis does a whole lot of stuff. Creation of the world, creation of the cosmos, pressing play on time. But, But ultimately what it does more than anything is it establishes paradigms in the life of the believer. Stay with me in the classroom. I promise we're going to church. Genesis chapter 1 establishes these paradigms. And so there's a paradigm of this expectation that God wants you to have a relationship with him. There's a paradigm that God doesn't want you to do life in isolation. It is not good for Adam to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. There's an expectation, a paradigm, a pattern of community in your life. And here what I want you to see God doing is establishing for the church a paradigm of celebration. This is God saying, I need you to work hard to find a way to celebrate something good rhythmically in your life. It is a part of your health regimen. It's, what, it's part of your multivitamin mix that the Holy Spirit has prescribed for you in your life. And so we see this happening in the book of Genesis. Now, real quickly, all I want you to see in chapter one is that there are pauses everywhere in Genesis chapter one. Everybody say pause. Okay, not dog pause. Like, Play, then stop, pause, okay? There are pauses everywhere. In fact, verse 31, watch this now, is the seventh of seven pauses on the part of God to do something, stop, and acknowledge that something. Did you get that? God does something, stops, and acknowledges that something. Stay with me. God does something, stops, And he acknowledges that something. God himself is establishing the rhythm, I believe, he wants all believers to emulate in their lives. You need to work, 
You need to do something. You need to get something done. You need to produce. You need to, you need to gnaw and scratch. You need to get out there and get after it. But then learn how to stop and acknowledge that something. So look at the text, verse 31. Notice it says, and God saw. It's the Hebrew word yar, okay? Yar means to look at, right? It means to glance. It means to stare. But more emphatically, yar means, watch this, to respect. It means to enjoy. Now, and he saw that it was good. Hebrew word taub, T-O-B-E, taub. Taub is like pleasant. It's sweet, okay? So what it is is God doing something and then respecting the fact that it's pleasant. He's doing something and then stopping and respecting the fact that it's pleasant. God says, that's you. You need to learn how to do something. And regardless of what culture says, stop and respect the fact that something is good. Y'all with me? Okay, so here's the picture. It's God creating the world, pausing, and then acknowledging that it was good. So I love it. It's God, um, it's God saying, um, okay, son, that's good. <laughs> Moon and stars. Courtney, in a word, trillions of stars. Flung into peace. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> um, heaven. Boom. <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. Uh, lions, tigers, bears, you say. <laughs> There's Winnie the Pooh. There's Smokey Bear. There's the Berenstain Bears. Who can I get a witness if you know Berenstain? Nobody. Okay. Over 40 would have said amen right there. But, but he stopped that it was good. So that's the rhythm that I think God is saying that he wants in life. Let me illustrate this. I've got a six-year-old Grandy, and a couple years ago, he wanted to learn how to play soccer because he wanted to play in the soccer league. And so we took him outside. So I'm going to show him how to kick a ball, then run and do drills and dribble and kick it in the goal. Okay? So daddy gets in front of him, son, you kick the ball, then you run and you dribble, then you kick it in the goal. Okay? So you kick the ball, you run and dribble, kick it in the goal. Grandy, four years old, gets up, and all he does is kick the ball. And then he stops, and he looks at me and says, Dad, I'm really good at this. <laughs> That's what God's doing in chapter one. Son, I'm really good at this. Mountains, I'm really good at this. God says, would you create moments, believers? And would you set tables? And would you innovate dinners where you get to stop and help everyone around you see that God is really good at this? Next Super Bowl party, queso, ribeyes, everybody there, God is really good at this. Next time your kid does the best they can. I dare you to just treat that night differently and get out of there and take him to Red Robin and say, you got an A plus, God is really good at this. It's, it's the idea of stopping and pausing and recognize God's goodness. It's the rhythm. Everybody say amen to that. You okay? Let's do this. Second thing I think it teaches us is that we ought to learn how to be a celebratory person even in the small things. So that's my encouragement. Learn how to celebrate as often as you can. 
Do not just wait on the, mo- the moments where you're supposed to celebrate. I think believers need to create. We need to be the most creative to create spaces to celebrate. Now, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying everyone here needs to be an extrovert and invite 50 people over every day. I'm not saying that you need to change who you are. I'm just saying that the good news of the gospel is that every celebration shows your neighbor God's kindness and God's love. And I'm going to show you how that happens in a minute. But the whole idea, I think, where we can start applying this is to learn how to celebrate the little things. Believers ought to be the best at not waiting for big things, but also celebrating little things. Some of you need to send a text right now to your dad and say, you know what? You are the best dad in the world. And I just want to love on you and tell you thank you. Fellas, learn how to celebrate your wife or your girlfriend when she ain't done nothing but breathe. (laughs) Because she's done something more than breathe. By the way, fellas, Valentine's Day is Tuesday. (laughs) You're welcome, okay? Ladies, you're welcome. Every man in the church just was like, okay. But, But learn how to just send flowers or whatever her flowers is for no reason at all. Baby, I'm just thinking about you. Thank you for being my wife. Learn how to celebrate your kids. Nothing for no other reason than saying, I'm just, I, just, I just like who God's making you to be. Celebrations. And this is what happens. People around you end up seeing God's kindness and love. So in my house growing up, we had um, report card day. Okay? So report card day. My mama didn't play about grades. You had to make good grades. We all made good grades. It was all good. Okay? But, so report card day, they would, every six weeks, they lined up all five Jenkins children. Okay? Now, if you got an A... You got $6. If you got a B, you got $5. If you got a C, you got $3. If you got a D, you got a spanking. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. That's the truth. But, anyways, but, but the whole idea is that what it was teaching us kids is that God will honor my discipline. Okay? Uh, we didn't have a lot of money. We weren't poor, but we didn't have a lot of money. And so uh, we, my dad had to create things. And so we never went to, to Disneyland. I didn't go to Disneyland until I was 27. Okay? You didn't go to Disney World. I used to beg my mama, Mama, please let us go to Disney World. She took us to Liberty Land. <laughs> I know you ain't heard of it because it's been closed down. Okay? I mean, raggedy, riggedy roller coaster. You thought you were going to die the whole time. Mascots looked like they had handicapped crutches and everything. It was, I said, like, Mama, this is terrible. This is Liberty Land. There's no liberty here. She said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Mom, we was on a budget. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know how y'all grew up. We grew up on a budget. So, like, we didn't have the real cereal. Can I get a Kroger brand witness up in here? You had Tylenol. I had Walgreens all. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have Fruit Loops in my house. We had rings of fruit. You, you heard of Toucan Sam? We had Willie the Polar Bear. Okay? We didn't have that stuff. But my dad was a phone company guy. He climbed poles for a living. And when another city had a disaster, he would go and work overtime and help them get all their lines back up, and they would pay for his hotel. And they put him in a five-star suite hotel, the Best Western. (laughs) And Dad said, why don't we just bring everybody? And we just all went to this hotel. We got sleeping bags on the floor, and Mama bought Chinese, and they're telling little ghost stories at night. And then they said, who's got the best joke? And we had the best Disneyland ever ever in a best western in the middle of nowhere and what us kids learned was that God will honor whatever kind of budget you have. 
See, there's celebrations all over the place and learn how to celebrate the, uh, the little things. Let's go home on this. And because, um, you know, I can see the temperature of the meat on my watch. Uh, learn to be present in the celebrations of others. Learn to be present in the celebrations of others. So chapter two shows us how God sets up Adam and establishes him to celebrate the rest of his life, but celebrate it with Adam. And that's what I want you to see. Um, so here's the picture. God creates Adam, but there was no helper for Adam. The Bible says that uh, God had set up everybody. And so Adam's here alone. And so the alligator hat was booed up and you know, the platypus, had, he had a boo thing, and, you know, the, plat, you know, the killer whale, she had somebody, and all this kind of stuff. And Adam's just here alone. He's like the koala bear. She's cute, but it would never work. You know what I'm saying? So he's just alone. God puts him to sleep, raising him back up, and he wakes up to every man's dream, a beautiful, godly, naked woman that wants to marry you. <laughs> I'll get emails, but that was worth it. And, you know, God's Adam's job was to name everybody. And so God said, what, what are you going to name her? And of course, God, Adam looks at Eve and she's beautiful and she's in love with him. And Adam looks at her and she said, he says, whoa, man. Whoa, man. That's how we got it. Okay, anyways, I'm just having fun today. It's Superboy, it's Jersey Day. Okay, relax. And God puts them together. And can you see the heart of Adam saying, man, he's looking ahead. We're going to have kids. We're going to have anniversaries. And we're going to have grandkids. And it's going to be great. And he's just celebrating with his new wife. Notice the scripture does not say that God retreated from the garden to some other side of the universe. But God was content to hang around and be present in their celebration. What does it mean for you, Christian, to not wait to celebrate only when it's your celebration, but to learn how to help others celebrate when it's theirs? This is what I want you to hear. God was satisfied with his role just to be present for somebody else's celebration. See, the gospel, when you have the gospel, when you have Jesus, the gospel frees me to not have to need to be the center of attention. And I can celebrate you well. Why? Because I've already got a victory in Christ. So I'm not basing my identity on whether or not I got a promotion. I'm not basing my identity on whether or not I got a rate. I'm basing my identity on the empty tomb. Can I go further? It means that I can celebrate your promotion even when I'm still in the unemployment line because my identity is not based on money or prestige. Can I go further? This is going to be hard. Are you sure? I can celebrate when you get pregnant, even though I've been battling infertility for 10 years. Because even though I'm still feeling that, my identity was never based on what he can give me. It was based on what he has given me. Can I go one more? Just one? I can celebrate you on your third wedding while I'm still single. Because I never based my joy on him putting a ring on it. I based my joy on the empty tomb of Calvary. 
my last words. Here it is. Jealousy will kill you and jealousy will kill celebrations. So do the work with God today to allow yourself to be defined by what he's done in you and what he wants to do through you. Amen. We're going to pray, but um, hey, listen, if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to put your trust and faith in him. Some of you are new to church, new to faith, new to the Bible, and you saw these Christians waving hands and shouting and doing all this stuff. And some of you are like, what in the world is going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. This the sounds of people who have been rescued. And if you're in sin today, the good news is that Jesus has died for your sins. He has risen again. That when you put your trust and faith in him, he washes you of your sin. He bestows upon you all the righteousness of Jesus, which means that when you put your trust in Jesus, God looks at you and he says, paid in full. That's the gospel. And I want to encourage you to accept him today. Prayer tables are in the back. I hope you'll stop by and let us connect with you. But until we meet again, would you open up your hands like this? Southwest, thank you for being so sweet. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon each and every one of you and bring you peace. For I pray this blessing in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And one more thing. Southwest Church, what you need is Jesus. Have a nice day, everybody.